In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. Girlfriend, here is your show. Girlfriended, your chance to connect with other women, especially the woman that is most overlooked, yourself. Girlfriended is all about helping you become self-aware, not self-involved. The aim is to provide information that relates to life, which leads to real connections and results in a desire to connect or care for those in need. The Girlfriended principle was born out of loss. Patty's mother was murdered, and Lisa lost her mother to cancer. This forged a bond between them that nothing could shake. And now the women want to help you in more ways than you can count every day. From the website, GirlfriendIt.com, and the movement, GirlfriendIt, here are Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan on Toginet.com. Are you living love? In other words, do you approach life as one who understands that they are deeply loved for who they are? Well, you know, living love is a phrase from the runaway best-selling book, The Shack. And today we are so privileged to have author William Paul Young with us. And also joining us today will be two of his daughters. So it's going to be, it's going to be fun and it's going to be inspiring. Fun and inspiring. I uh-huh. like that. Yeah, are- I like that we're going to be fun and inspiring. <laughs> well, welcome to Girlfriend It. We're Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan, founders of GirlfriendIt.com, a great place to connect and girlfriendify your life. And here at Girlfriend It, we're all about providing a place for women just to come together and share their voice, share our ideas, um, be challenged maybe a little bit, and be inspired. And have fun. Did I mention fun and inspiring before? It's all about the fun. You I know. know. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go back to that initial question that you asked. Are you living loved? And living loved, it, you know, it really is a choice we each must make. And um, you can't allow our situations to dictate it, which so oftentimes we do. I know. You know what? Um, this week, actually this weekend, I had a great time. I was able to go to... It wasn't, was it fun and inspiring? It was fun and inspiring. Yeah. It was a reunion from high school, but it wasn't a formal reunion. It just, I was think that was, like 50 years ago that you graduated? <laughs> <laughs> We looked really good, though, I must say, <laughs> in your humble opinion. <laughs> um, but it was so interesting seeing people that I haven't seen in years and years and years, like 10 years maybe. Yeah. And to see that there are a lot of people that are living, that are not living loved. You can just tell they've had a really hard life. Life has not been um It's not been lovable for, yes, them, for yes. them. And it was really, it was really sad in one degree to see uh, so many lives that have just been messed up and... Um, also, there are kids that are just going down the wrong path, and you, you really have to stop and go, what makes a life, you know, worth living to the point that it's not, it's not such a hard road? Yeah, and well, and in, and in spite of some of those situations, circumstances that you can still live loved, knowing that you're loved for who you are, and it's not dependent upon um, what you do or situations, and that's, that's hard to get to that, to that place, and Part of living loved, I think, is um, is when you're giving love away, too, not just receiving it, but so many times part of the healing process in life is when you're giving yourself away. And I know that um, I got to be the recipient of living loved a little bit this past week and a couple things. And um, one was um, really, like, kind of extravagant. Um, as you know, my daughter just got married. And so she and her new husband, which sounds weird to say, um, took, <laughs> took my husband and I out to dinner just to kind of celebrate and thank you. And so we went to this, our, one of our favorite places, and 
we were just having the best time and just enjoying it. And then we, um, they went to ask for the bill, and the, the server said, well, it's already been taken care of. And we're like, well, what do you mean it's been taken care of? And they're like, well, somebody's already paid your tab. And so we all kind of sat there trying to, trying to take that in, and um, we like, well, who would do that? And they said, well, there were some people out on the patio that saw you guys and wanted to cover your bill. Don't I, you I, love that? Oh, you know what? <laughs> it was so beyond because then we felt really guilty because we go, okay, we had dessert. We had, you know, it was one of those things because we were truly in that celebrating yes. thing. And you go, it was probably more of a tap than we would normally have. Yeah. And, um, and you don't feel like you, um, you deserve that. Like you want to go to them and go, no, 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 no. You don't no. understand. Yeah. yeah. Well, and then you feel guilty. And I, we just kept saying, okay, we feel so bad. We feel so bad. And then you go, but somebody chose to do something like a random act of kindness and a random act of love. And I got to tell you, it's harder being on the re- receiving end of that because yes. I'd much rather be the person giving it yes. and doing for other people. But it was such a nice surprise. And somebody did it totally anonymously. Yeah. And you, it's like you're driven to want to go find out who it was so you can go thank them. Yes. And well, like, I like the, the term extravagant love because that is exactly what it is. If it's more people... Um, not only gave that extravagant love, but also received that extravagant love, life wouldn't be so hard. Well, even last week, we were at Paradise Bakery, and a gal approached you and said, would you save the table here uh-huh. for us? And then when she came back, you probably, I don't even know if you looked at the table. And I actually the table. did. I actually <laughs> had to guard it once. <laughs> <laughs> but she came back with a little bag full of cookies. And those are delectable cookies. And I and I, I she handed me these cookies, and I, I was like, "Why?" And she was, "Thanks for saving the table." I never had anybody do that. I mean, I literally just watched this table and yeah. maybe told one person, "I'm sorry, it's taken." And I felt really bad, and I, I tried to give her the, the bag of cookies back, but I couldn't quite. You yeah, because I had already like, <clears throat> you had already grabbed the chocolate. They were already in my tummy. Yeah, you were downing a cookie already. You had no problem. I so deserve that love. <laughs> I think you have the gift of receiving. <laughs> Um, you were still in the guilt phase, and I was already I was. full of cookies. But you know what? It makes you in both those scenarios when um, I was the recipient of love, uh, you know, an act of love. It makes you really realize that um, we feel like so many times we have to earn love, mm-hmm. and because it's like I wanted to repay. It's like no, no, no. You don't understand. I didn't. Just watching that table didn't merit a bag of fresh baked cookies. I loved it. Don't get me wrong, but you feel like you got to earn it. Yeah. I think so many times in life we do. We feel like love has to be earned when mm-hmm. love just is freely given. And we do need to be um, it's so intentional with giving it for free. I know it was really neat this Easter on uh, Sunday. I went with my family and my sister Kathy and a group from Bethany Bible Church um, down to the shelter downtown, and we just gave out water bottles and juice and breakfast, uh, McMuffins, um, clothes, some shoes, books. It was just the coolest experience to just that extravagant love, just yeah. to give and do something out of the ordinary that you don't normally do yeah. sometimes. Something that you don't normally get. But. <laughs> <laughs> but we do. We look at it and we, we want to sit and learn about Jesus all the time, but sometimes it's being Jesus and just doing those, those little things in life where you really are giving that extravagant love. Well, and doing love. Um, tangible touches of love. And mm-hmm. doing saying, I love you, you're so loved, but doing, okay, putting love into motion and into action and what that can look like. And, um, and it, it is about being proactive. And I know that um, we just met, too, uh, we had kind of a busy week, 
Uh, we met with um, Shona from Rock Along Productions, and she's sponsoring events. And it's going to be a total girlfriend thing on April 21st. So for those that are in Arizona that want to join us on April 24th, it's going to be a, just a great girlfriend time with vendors there that are going to be, you know, the jewelry. So we'll totally have the, re, the shopping experience well, along with a band and um, a well, show. Just, just where, it, where it is, for those of you in Arizona, down on Mill Avenue. The Madcap. Um, that is just a cool place to go. And so we are just getting together with a bunch of girlfriends, and we're watching an incredible rock band and then a movie, Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend. There's going to be vendors. It's just going to be a blast. So go but to our site and check cool it out. But what's cool about it is we're also raising awareness and support for Branded Phoenix, which is a passion of ours because it's helping to um, to to eradicate um, and stop rape for profit among teen girls, which is an issue in a lot of our cities that we're not even aware of. So if you get a chance, go to our website at Girlfriend It, and you can learn more, and you can join us for a great night. But um, as we just kind of continue about talking, because we are Girlfriend It, and we are a lot about girlfriends and our relationship, it, you know, we want to just really encourage each other to just live love and to help each other feel like you're loved. And that takes on so many different packages. Well, and, and we're getting lived loved from the book, The Shack. And it's, it's interesting because one of the quotes, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this quote because if I even attempt to try to say it, you know I will mess it up. But William Young, the author of The Shack, uh, talks about, I make a distinction between true and real. I think that the story is true. It's just not real. That's what a parable is. It takes things that we all know are real, and it takes life events that actually happens, and it weaves them into fiction that allows truth to actually be embedded. And I, I love that because when you're talking to people about this particular book, The Shack, they, they see it as black and white, literal, that he actually had this experience. And we don't want to mess it up for those of you who haven't read the book yet, but it's an incredible story about this guy and what took place and happened to his daughter. And people hear it that way rather than seeing the allegory that this child and the horrific things that happened to this child really did happen to him. He just writes in a parable. Well, and you know what, that live loved, I, you know, when you read this book, it is, it is so profound, and it's one of those books that you just don't want to put down, and that's what so many people have said when they've read this book, is I, I didn't want to turn it, I didn't want to put it down, I stayed up till you know, three in the morning reading this book, um, is you, t- you do, you, you walk away from this book um, when you finally see the end, and you go like, I feel so loved, and you totally see God in a different way, and it really, it makes you think differently, it makes you think about even your relationship with God, and your, and just maybe some situations that have happened in your life, and how do you kind of get beyond those? And it, it really is one of those books that, that tugs at your heartstrings, that just hits your emotions and taps into. And um, I know we're so excited to have Paul in the next, um, you know, segment coming up. And we've had a chance to talk to him before, and he's one of those guys that it's just it's riveting, and that you're just going to walk away. And we've been, we put it out there to people that that you know he's coming on the show, and we've had such a great response from people going, I can't wait, I can't wait to hear, and it's amazing in the book, and and people are even saying I'm rereading that book again. Yes, yes, because now they know it is in allegory form rather than the black and white. You don't take it literally. Um, I know I was talking to my sister-in-law. And she was saying, uh, I guess, when her, talking to, uh, to her hairstylist, and this gal had a guy who would literally go to, his, he just despised his father, had so much anger and so much bitterness, 
that he would go to the grave and, um, I mean, for lack of a better word, would urinate on the grave. And after he read this book, he was able to forgive his father. It just broke down that barrier, and it's that live loved. He was able to then love his father and lose that that bitterness and that anger, which is just amazing that that God can take one book. Well, it shows you the power of love. Love is so much more powerful than, than hatred and all the things that go along with that. So when we come come back, stay with us because we have William Paul Young, the shack, and we're gonna we're gonna have such a great conversation. And I think I told you it was gonna be fun and inspiring, didn't I? Fun and inspiring because as of January 2010, the shack had over seven million copies in and had been at number one on the New York Times. So it's gonna be phenomenal. Okay, see ya. This is Girlfriended on Toginet. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on Girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. Critical thinking in the real world. What does it take to get ahead and stay ahead of the curve in this ever-changing world around us? Critical thinking in the real world with Janet Hens. Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Central on Toginet. Starting November 4th, Janet Hens is a college instructor, speaker, writer, wife, and mother of three young children. She also has her Master's of Arts in writing from Johns Hopkins University. Janet began her career working for a congressman on Capitol Hill, then moved over to lobbying when he retired. It was through these jobs that she learned about the power of grassroots initiatives, media relations, and public speaking. And then she honed these skills when she became a college instructor. Today, she artfully balances work with full-time motherhood. In the show, Critical Thinking in the Real World, Janet will discuss hot topics and the critical thinking necessary to assess them. Her passion for education impacts her daily life, and she'll share that in every show. Critical Thinking in the Real World with Janet Hens, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Central, starting November 4th on toginet.com. Get ready to get busy with Getting It Done. Getting It Done with Jill Staraszewski, Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Central on toginet.com. We'll be bringing you moms and dads who are getting it done. Parents who have a lot on their plate, but still manage to go that extra mile to accomplish things that they have long dreamed of. Well, how do they do that? Well, that's what this is for. The goal is to educate, motivate, encourage, and support the multitasker in all of us. Whether it's that book that you've been meaning to write, that business that you've been hoping to start, that dish that you've been striving to master, getting it done is here to help make it happen. Motivating you to get started, encouraging you to keep going, providing tips and advice on how to keep the kids happy, healthy, and safe while getting it done and done well. Learn from fellow moms and dads who are getting it done and learn about yourself along the way. It's Jill Staraszewski and Safety Mom Media bringing out the stars in all of us. It's Getting It Done with Jill Staraszewski, Wednesday nights at 9, 8 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Well, it is not every day that you get to sit down and talk with somebody like William Paul Young. And the the book, The Shack, is an incredible story, as we've mentioned, and uh, it's it, was on the New York Times bestselling list for 70 weeks. 
which is just an amazing feat in itself. But there's, there's a, a very interesting and unique story even about the shack and behind the, the scenes of the shack and just how it came into existence and its origin and why it was written and how it was written. And so we're going to kind of dive into that a little bit more and understand the, the kind of the rest of the story for the shack. But for those of you who are, are not familiar with the shack and with William Paul Young, he has quite an interesting life story that he is so authentic with and shares um, so openly, and it just, it's powerful. But Paul was raised among a Stone Age tribe by his missionary parents and in the highlands of what was New Guinea, and that really shaped so much of, of, his, um, of his thinking and even writing in the book. And, and Paul and his wife, Kim, they live in Oregon. They have six kids, and, and later we're going to have two of his daughters joining us, which I had the privilege of meeting a couple months ago. And this is a delightful family, so welcome, Paul. And we just want to thank you so much for joining us today. We know you have a crazy, busy schedule. You're ready to start on a long tour, and so it's such a treat. But our first question for you, Paul, is that um, for, the, for the benefit of those few who have not read The Shack, can you explain the title of the book and what it means? Sure. Um, and hi, Patty and Lisa. It's great to be with you. And I have a, somewhat of a cold, so you have to forgive me for that. That's Okay. <laughs> It's, it needs to be uh, fixed by Saturday because I'm speaking. But uh, Yes, and your schedule well, is so crazy. Oh, it's pretty fun. The, um, the book, The Shack, and as far as the storyline goes, is um, kind of the center point of the main character, Mackenzie's great sadness. Um, he uh, takes his children camping, and the book is sort of a mystery suspense wrapped up in a what-if. Mm-hmm. The what-if part is, you know, in the middle of our tragedies, of our great sadnesses, the things that really turn our worlds upside down, what if there is a God, actually, who is good all the time, who is not the cause of that evil, but promises to show up in the middle of it, and, and how would that change things? Well, in the story, the shack is, uh, just at the story level, is the place where Mackenzie's great sadness gets focused. And uh, he gets invited back with a very strange invitation to go back to this place of great sadness by a mysterious note that it could be written by an actual perpetrator of an evil, or it could be written by, uh, strange as it seems, it could even be written by God. Mm-hmm. And the invitation is to go back to the place where we got stuck. Um, and the shack becomes a metaphor uh, for the heart or the soul of a human being. It is, it is uh, the house on the inside that we build and people help us build, and it's the... Uh, the place where we store all of our addictions and we hide all our secrets and, and it's the place we never want to go back to or ashamed of, we hate, we think God is discouraged and disappointed about. And, uh, and everyone in, in, who is going to come to healing at some point has to go back and deal with the places where they're stuck. Mm-hmm. It's the, the only direction. You can't go around the shack. You've got to go through it. And that is such a significant point. Um, I, I liked how you said, back to the place where we got stuck. But so many times we don't want to go back to that place because it's too painful and it brings up too many emotions that we don't even know how to sort through. What would you, what would you say? How do you address that about going back to that place? Because it's almost like sometimes your growth stops right there. You, you reach that point, you got stuck, and you didn't grow beyond that. Yeah. Let me, uh, let me just talk a little bit about the power of secrets because uh, we are as sick as the secrets that we keep. And the reason we hold on to our secrets and we store them in the shack um, is that uh, 
who were terrified. We're terrified that if somebody finds out about them, we will lose even the semblance of some approval or an affection that we've managed to kind of scrabble together. But the power of secrets is this. In our lives, when people really offer us approval and affection and care, we don't believe them because they don't know the secret. So we think we're faking everybody out. At the same time, we're unable to really bond in relationships in which we really know we're loved. And that includes our relationship with God. Mm -hmm. A lot of religion has caused us to drive secrets back into the into the heart and then we we don't even want to acknowledge to god that we're really human beings who are stuck in a process and uh so you know the first thing we have to or one of the first things uh, everybody comes to the journey different ways but one of the first things is to uh is to acknowledge that you need somebody else in this place and uh and, and it's not going to be just god as father son and holy spirit which is wonderful itself and but god has a way of bringing real people into the mix because he loves to participate and uh, that's all about relationship. Okay, so we have to ask you, what what was the secret that you got stuck on? Hmm. Well, <clears throat> there were a few and and there was one particular one that was a catalyst that kind of broke everything open. Mackenzie, who's the main character, spends just a weekend in the shack, but that weekend represents 11 years of my life. And um but, you know, my great sadness goes back to a very, very difficult relationship with my father. Um, I'm a missionary kid and a preacher's kid. I'm a religious kid growing up. And and I, I learned soon that my father, who was a very broken man in his childhood, he, he had not dealt with any of his stuff and just dumped it on me. And then uh, besides that, about age four and a half, I think that's when it started, was in full swing by five, was sexual abuse, both inside the tribal culture and then in uh, missionary boarding school. Mm-hmm. So those things create a self-protective system where everything is about safety. So you run away from relationships. You, there's all kinds of things you do. You, you, uh, you learn how to turn somebody or deflect a, somebody's accusations back on them. You know, there's just uh, skills you learn to survive. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you wrap it inside your religious system, whatever that is. Mine was very fundamental Christian. And so, uh, you know, I never ran away from relationships. I just heard God call me somewhere else, right? Mm. Uh, um, and then the, the big catalyst for me was uh, a phone call from Kim, my wife, in, in uh, January 4th of 94, where she just said, uh, I'm waiting for you at your office, and I know. And that's all it took. What she knew was I was in a three-month affair with one of her best friends. So as soon as you heard, I know, <laughs> I'm waiting. When a wife says, I know... It's not good, right? <laughs> you yeah. knew, and, uh, and, and I had to make a choice either to to do the ultimate running away and kill myself or actually face her. Wow. And uh, and that it took Kim and I 11 years wow. to, uh, to come. Hey, and you know what? Even in that, because there's, you know, that is not a unique uh, scenario, unfortunately, among, I mean, you're seeing the media right now, Tiger Woods and Jesse James and all that stuff. And you guys made it. Like you said, it took 11 years of, I'm sure, hard work, a lot of tears, a lot of soul-searching, a lot of um, angst inside. How would you tell people to go to get through that? I mean, what was it it that really got you the glue that now there's there's a trust there? You got to rebuild the trust. But it was, like you said, 11 years where... Do you think it is a lot of people are not willing to invest the time it takes to heal a relationship? What was... I don't. I, I think a lot of people aren't yet at the place where they're desperate enough. 
And, and point. people talk about hitting bottom, but you can tell when somebody hits bottom because they no longer point a finger in any direction but at themselves. And, uh, you know, because I see this, I see these kind of things happen, but I see the people's responses, well, you're part of this problem. And, uh, and, and again, they're, uh, at that point, I didn't care. I did not care anymore if Kim was part of the problem or not. It just was, this is my stuff, and if I can't find some healing, what's the point? You know, it's just that I, I continue to, to just uh, cause damage in the lives of people, uh, even those that I even know how to care about as much as I knew how. And uh, so what do you do? And that desperation drives you. Who knows the specific path? Because every human being is so uniquely crafted and so uniquely damaged that only God is big enough to know how to unwind that damage in such a way that the person just doesn't break. And, uh, and I think part of how many kinds of counseling and spiritual formations and pastoral care or psychiatry or all of these things are part of what God has uh, allowed human beings to investigate to give us a whole panorama of, of ways to journey into dealing with this stuff. But we've got to face it, and we've got to face uh, you know, our own destructiveness. For me, what I did is I built a facade outside the shack, you know, something that looked like a really nice building that I could paint as fast as I could pick up people's expectations. Mm. And, uh, and I did that for God, thinking, you know, because I never was able to please my dad. Maybe if I could just work hard enough and do all the right things and pray enough and give enough, and if I could just do all that stuff, maybe I could win the approval and affection of God. And it took me the full 11 years to, to accomplish a couple things. One was to wipe the face of my father completely off the face of God. And uh, because my relationship with God was largely a projection of the damage that was there. Mm -hmm. And the other thing was to find out that there is a God who is good all the time, who's involved in the details of my life, and who absolutely loves me, not based on my performance. Well, Paul, we have two minutes before we go into a commercial break, and, and just hearing even the emotions in your voice is just such a phenomenal story. How were you able to, when this was all coming down, uh, you, you have six children, how were you able to let them understand what was going on? Uh, yeah, the two oldest were right in the middle of it, plus Kim's dad lived with us for 17 years. His name was Willard. He died in 2002 on his 84th birthday, and... and uh, we called him Willie. He's the Willie in the book, is Kim's dad. Mm. So Kim's dad, and Kim has a huge, extended, very tight-knit family. And uh, my two oldest were 14 and 12 at the time. They went through the whole thing with eyes wide open. We didn't hide anything. So you and, just um, and then have as, about 30 seconds left. So you, when you say eyes wide open, you just let them know what was going on. This everything. is what dad did. This is uh, what's taking they saw every, We didn't hide anything. I said to Kim, if we're going to do this, we can't have any more secrets. I'm not going to do this privately. I got to tell you everything. I got to tell you all my secrets, and that took uh, four days to start. And that is so powerful because I, you know what? It's I think it's really hard for people to get to that point where to just go, I'm going to be authentic. I'm done hiding. And did you? I, I know we got to go here in 15 seconds, but was there just so much freedom when you finally got to that point? Yeah, but even that freedom was a process. Everything's process. Okay, well, let's keep talking when we come back. Thank you, Paul. Hold 
This is Girlfriended on Togginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on Girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend It. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriend It Radio right after these. Inspiring women to be true to themselves. Get ready for Tracy Porter Radio on Toginet.com. 2 p.m. Central, Wednesdays, starting November 4th. Tracy Porter, lifestyle, home and fashion designer. Inspiring women from all over the world with their fashionably eclectic goods, savvy tips, style advice, and encouraging spirit. TracyPorter.com is home to her designer products and voice to thousands of women who flock to Tracy's daily blog for a daily dose of Pure Tracy. And now she's coming to Toginet. All of Tracy's enchanting goods can be found at TracyPorter.com and her nationally sought-after mail catalog, Tracy Porter. Plus, you can find her here on Toginet. Tracy's awards, appearances, and accolades are too numerous to mention here. So, ladies, you've just got to come to be inspired, too. With Tracy Porter Radio, inspiring women to be true to themselves, to let their passions lead. Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Central, starting November 4th, on toginet.com. Get a jump on what your preschool kids need to know with Let's Get Ready for Kindergarten from Stacy Cannonberg. A mom told me this is the book I've been looking for. This book gives me all the information I need about what my kids need to know. And a private school admissions director said this is exactly what we test on. Google it, get it, and get ahead. Let's Get Ready for Kindergarten. Applauded and approved by parents and educators. Let's Get Ready for Kindergarten is a state-approved teaching tool. On sale now, in stores, or online at cedarvalleypublishing.com. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio. A chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a bug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. We are here with best-selling author from The Shack, uh, William Paul Young. And Paul, you have tapped into some emotions, um, I'm sure, with so many listeners. I know um, for myself, uh, my mom was murdered um, 10 years ago, and I know I still have family members that are really struggling with the forgiveness aspect. Sure. And you talk about Mac and how his life sinks into what you, you call the great sadness. Um, what, what would you say to someone who's really dealing with that perpetrator who um, he's now on, on death row? With a mass shooting. It was a mass shooting where he um, walked into a room and um, my mom was one of them that was shot. Uh, it's, I think you take a lot of the bitterness and the anger that you feel for, for the man who, who murdered her, and you take other issues and you pile it in that place, like you said, that place where you get stuck. Yeah. What, what advice do you have oh, for, for one, that forgiveness? We have to understand that, that forgiveness is, is a process. It's not a one-time event. And uh, um, because some of these things, they just keep coming back and back and back. Let me tell you a pretty incredible story. And, it, and, it, and, and this is, uh, you know, I get to hear stories from people all the time. I probably have a close to 100,000 emails from all over the world now. And uh, but I was with a gal in Jackson, Mississippi, and she's a uh, military nurse. She flies in the helicopters in Afghanistan. And um, she... Uh, she likes to pick the helicopters that get shot at because she almost has a death wish that comes from um, her early childhood, her whole childhood where she was sexually abused by her father and by, as she calls him, my father's brother. 
and uh, and uh, that she had a rage inside. Well, she she runs into the shack uh, in Afghanistan, and the issue is forgiveness. And uh, and people think so many strange things about forgiveness, like if you forgive someone, then you trust them. Not true. Mm-hmm. You know, forgiveness is not is not dependent on that person's repentance either, or else you know none of us would be in any good shape with God. God forgave us while we were yet sinners, right? And uh, so uh, forgiveness is not uh, uh, liking the person, and uh, it doesn't mean any of those things. It takes time for trust to build. You can you can release your hands around that person's throat, but it, but it's going to take some time. So she uh, she is called by her family. Her father's dying; has six weeks left, and um, as the nurse in the family, she gets called back to take care of him while he dies. Well, wow! He figures this is an opportunity to have this conversation, and uh, she gets there, and he'd gone into a coma, and uh, she waits for him to come out of the coma so they can have this conversation. And he begins to deteriorate, and she realizes he's not coming out. Mm-hmm. And so she one day takes a chair, pulls it up next to his bed, and says, Daddy, I'm here to ask for both of our forgiveness. And she begins to recount all the things that he did or allowed to have done to her. Mm-hmm. Then she begins to say, and now I forgive you for this. And she begins going back through that list and forgiving him. And as she's forgiving him, tears start running down his face. And she says, here he is in a deep coma. Nobody can tell me that some major things weren't transacted. Mm. You know, the issue of forgiveness is primarily, primarily for the, for the person who is stuck with unforgiveness. It's, the, it's, it's not the perpetrator often. In fact, the perpetrators often can be dead or unavailable. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's, it's us who got trapped uh, in that unforgiveness. Mm-hmm. And at some point... Whatever it takes, we've got to put the chair in the room and say to the person, you know what, I've held my hands around your throat long enough. You're not going to own me anymore. Yep. And that becomes part of a process. And they do own you. That's what's so sad. If we can just realize that, that freeing that chokehold, like you said, is, is so, it just gives you pure freedom. Yeah. And, and that's what God wants. Um, I, another question is, You've had a lot of criticism about this book, which... Isn't that great? We find it just, that's just hysterical, which I think the criticism also helps in people wanting to know what's in that book, to know what to criticize. It creates kind of a synergy in the buzz. <laughs> well, you know what's funny is that the angriest people haven't read the whole book, and, uh, or haven't read the book at all, and, I'm, and that includes some big-name people. Who I've got I find that so fascinating, because you've shared that before, and I just can't comprehend how somebody can just rag on something that they have never experienced personally. Well, you have to understand that, that we've all done this to one degree or another where we thought we were right. And, yeah. and uh, I did it and growing up, you know, where I had my dogmatics and anybody else with a different point of view. Um, I, just, I didn't want to take that information in. And when you're stuck inside of a religious paradigm, how, how does God break you out? Well, one of the ways he does it is he heals people on the Sabbath. He, he does things that violate your religious sensibilities. And, uh, and I think Jesus is still healing people on the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's ticking them off. That's how you get in, uh, a religious person involved in the conversation. <laughs> and, and I think it's great. It's, you know, the book, 
and what's happened with it, you know, that I, I only wrote it for my kids. You know, I made 15 copies at Office Depot. So um, all of this is a God thing. And so I, I don't take credit for all the healing that's happening because of it, but I also don't take credit for how it's stirring it up in some people's religious paradigms either. And that is such a great perspective because it's very freeing because it's really, you did your part, you, you write this book, and I want, we, I want to have you explain that a little bit more, but then it's like you kind of leave the outcome to God. You go, okay, you, you know, I, I wrote this, compelled it, but then you kind of take it, and there's freedom in that because you don't feel like you have to be the one making it all happen. And I know we've talked to you earlier, and um, it, it's fascinating just the, the story behind how it all came into being. And, and briefly share how you, you wrote that, like you said, you made 15 copies. You originally wrote it for your kids for Christmas, I believe. Yep. How long did it take you to write that, and what was the, the early days like? Because it really was nothing. You didn't, you didn't go, I want to become a New York Times bestselling author and sell 7 million copies of a book. It was, it was accidental. Yeah, totally. And by the way, it's 12 to 14 worldwide now. Okay, then you know what? We need to update the website then on you. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, And uh, and it's doing the same thing internationally. It's just it's just blowing up, and so it's really cool. Um, That is very cool. Yeah, I I never did. I never even thought about publishing the book. It was just Kim had asked me to write as a gift for the kids because I write gifts, you know, songs and poetry and short stories and stuff and. And she said, would you just write a gift for the kids for Christmas someday where you just put in one place how you think because you think outside the box. So that's all I was trying to do. Um, it, took, uh, it took about six months from scratch and um, just trying to put in one place. You know, and I'm working three jobs and stuff, so it really poured out pretty fast. And then uh, had no money at Christmas, got a little bit for Christmas, and so went down to Office Depot, made 15 copies for friends and family. And that was it. Went back to my three jobs, no big deal. And uh, it wasn't until my friends started giving the book away that things got a little out of hand. And pretty soon I'm getting emails from people that I don't know who are reading the book and, and uh, this little manuscript that's out there. Some uh, folks in California uh, got a hold of it and um, thought it would make a good film and so thought publishing would be the in-between step because if you can sell a novel at 100,000 copies, Hollywood will talk to you about a film. Wow. And the uh, average book only sells million. copies. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so we got it ready for publication. Twenty-six publishers, half of them faith-based, turned the book down. And um, so I said, you know, how hard is it to publish a book? So, two friends created a publishing company. We pooled our resources. I had a friend in Oregon who had loaned me some money, and the other, one of the guys had some savings, and the other one had a Visa and a Mastercard. And we literally found a printer in Los Angeles. And in May of 07, he drop-shipped 11,000 copies of The Shack to a garage, and we set up a website. And uh, in, a, in a world where marketing and promotion is everything, uh, in the first 13 months, we only had the website. We spent less than $300 in marketing and promotion, and we shipped over a million books. See, that is one of those stories that is like, it truly is like a once-in-a-lifetime thing, but then I don't think it will be a once-in-your-lifetime but it's one of those just amazing stories that you just don't hear that happening, and happening so quickly like that. Yeah, it's, You're it's of, a of, God thing. I mean, it's just God's sense of humor. It's proof he can still use the foolish. <laughs> I, I don't, you know, it, it, is, it is, we always say we're two yahoos and how God can just take ordinary people and, and allow himself to be so extraordinary. And 
I've, I've misquoted that a couple of times by saying we were extraordinary and God was ordinary. So I have to be really careful when I quote that. But <laughs> it is amazing when you truly just surrender, you know, whatever's in your hand to God and you go, just do with it what you want. It, first of all, it's freeing. And then he always, you know, does immeasurably more. Yeah. Here's what, here's what my prayer was in 05 after my 13 years, I mean, my 11 years of dealing with this stuff. And, uh, and, and it was done, you know, in, in the beginning of 05, it, it really felt that everything had closed out and I was ready to write this whatever for my kids. My prayer was this, you know, Papa, I don't, I don't care to ever ask you to bless anything that I do ever again. But if you got something that you're blessing and it would be okay for me to be a part of that, I'd be all over it. I don't care if I'm cleaning toilets or shining shoes or holding the doors open. I just want to know at the end of the day, you did this and I got to participate. And, um, and that's really what's happened. It's like God said, well, you know, how about, how about if I bless this little book? You know, you, you give it to your kids, and then I'm going to give it to mine. Mm, wow. Wow. And that had to be so healing for you as you were writing that. I'm sure there were quite a few tears shed just as you were tapping into those emotions. Well, there, yeah, there, there are. But, you know, the, part of the beauty of the shack is that the book is written out of healing much more than it is part of the healing process. Um, yeah, it's very emotional, and it still is. I, you know, there are times I can read parts of that book, and I start to cry, and I don't even know why. And um, it's just, it just touches very deep places. And, um, and for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit has just done a marvelous thing with that. And I love the way that you just give God the credit. And just, you know, and the few times that, that we have met, it's just, I'm always amazed that just your your ordinariness and your, and your humility, and um, you're, it's, just, it's, it's just amazing to see that you really do give God the credit and the glory, and it's, and it's, it's rare to find people like that that, it, that can achieve the success at the level that you have and yet keep it in perspective, and that's one of the things we want to talk about when we come back, and, and do, when we come back, we're going to have your, your couple of your daughters joining us, which we are excited about because um, in meeting them, I know they work with you a little bit, so that's going to be exciting to hear their perspective on all this. But um, I, I really quickly, because we have 30 seconds, when, when Kim asked you to write a story, did you know immediately what you would write about? No. I'm, in fact, the first thought was um, words your dad thinks with, about that start with the letter A and work my way through the alphabet. But I thought, that's going to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> I love story, so story really, really was where to go, but I just didn't have anything at that point. And that's, it's always hard to know where to start on anything else. So when we come back, we're going to be still talking with Paul and his daughters and just more of this fascinating story in the book, The Shack. This is Girlfriended on Togginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on Girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. Being frugal doesn't mean being cheap. And the Frugalitarian is here to show you how. Jody Olson is the Frugalitarian on Togginap, 3 p.m. Central, Wednesdays. This is the art of great living. It's just a matter of time before people start asking you to tell them your secrets to better style, bargains on food, home decor, and clothing. Your wants don't have to change, just how you acquire what you want. 
On the Frugalitarian, it's an uncommon mix of style, fashion-savvy, and earth-friendly, showing you great taste, great style, and great ideas for finding everything you want for nearly nothing. I'm speaking from experience. I live on a beautiful farm where I take care of sheep and do a few light farm chores for extremely low rent. For more clever ideas on how to waste not and totally want not, go to thefrugalitarian.com. Join us every week for more information on how you can live better for less with Jody Olson. It's The Frugalitarian, Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Celebrate Green is coming to Toginet, Wednesdays at noon central time, starting November 4th. The mother-daughter team of Lynn and Corey will have you going green and loving it at no time at all. As heard on Martha Stewart and Disney Radio and seen blogging for HGTV, Lynn Caldwell and Corey Caldwell-Lipsum are unapologetic evangelists for greening every aspect of life, especially holidays and celebrations. Based on their book, Celebrate Green, they're putting the meaning in the greening with their simple, fun, eco-friendly, affordable ideas. From their start with green Halloween to tips, tricks, ideas, and projects for every holiday, you'll love Celebrate Green. You can check them out online, too, at CelebrateGreen.net and GreenHalloween.org for more information, the newsletter, the blogs, places to shop, cool extras, and so much more. So get ready to Celebrate Green, the radio show with Lynn and Corey, Wednesdays at noon central time, starting November 4th on Toginet.com. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Well, we are back, and we're talking with uh, Paul Young, author of the, the best-selling New York Times um, book for 70 weeks and selling over 14 million copies, The Shack. And if you haven't read that, we encourage you to run and pick that up, and if you have, reread it again. It's just a great read. I know a couple of months ago, um, my husband and I were privileged to be in um, Washington, D.C. at the National uh, Presidential Prayer Breakfast, and Paul, we ran into each other again. We, we, we met last year, and then I got to meet your wife, Kim, and your two daughters, Lexi and Amy, and just, it was just great to see you there with your family and seeing that context, and we kept running into each other, and just in talking to Lexi and Amy, just loved their heart, loved um just their interaction with you and, and Kim and um, Patty and I both being moms we, and our kids getting older, we love having them joining us in, in, in just in life and in ministry and whatever comes along. So I know it's got to be a privilege for you to have your daughters with you. And so Lexi and Amy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank, Thank you thanks so you. much for having us. <laughs> well, I have a question, Lexi and Amy. I don't, I don't know which one to, to ask this question to, but... Um, your dad is just so transparent, and that's unique as a child looking at your father who's exposing all of this, you know, from sexual molestation to having an affair with your mom's best friend. I mean, that's one of those things as a, you guys aren't children anymore, but I don't care how old you are, you're still a child in your daddy's eyes. So to, to look at your father and know all of this, how has that changed your perspective of him? Um, a loaded question. Yeah. <laughs> Um, for me, this is Lexi, by the way, um, I was going through, when I found out about the affair and found out about, um, a lot of stuff that had happened to him, I was going through a lot anyways, like, um, at school and I was being, um, 
going through a lot of betrayal by my best friends and um, rejection, and I was just kind of confused. And um, so when I found out, I didn't have, like, I would like to be like, oh, yeah, I forgave him and stuff, but I didn't. It took me a long time. And so he came in, and Amy and I had just woken up, and um, we were living in our little 900-square-foot house. So Amy and I shared a room, and Matthew came in with my parents, and um, and they told us, and Matthew's reaction was kind of like, why did you tell me that? Like, I didn't need to know. Yeah, yeah. And, um, but mine, like, I felt really betrayed that they hadn't told me for so long. And, <laughs> and, um, I actually went and stayed with my brother and sister-in-law for, like, a week or something. Mm-hmm. And, um... It was right before Easter, so it was like two years ago that they uh, told us. And so, um, for me, it was just, it was really hard to kind of accept it. Yeah. Just be like, oh, yeah, that's okay, because it wasn't. Yeah. And um, so, it was right before my 16th birthday, too. My birthday is in May. Mm. Um, It's a tradition to get a purity ring from... My dad. Mm-hmm. So, um, kind of ironic timing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, um, like with Amy, when she got hers, when she was 16, he took her out to eat. And, like, they had this special evening, but I wouldn't let it happen. I was, I wouldn't be alone with him. And so, it was just, it was a really hard time for me. Yeah. To get over that anger. And yeah. so at what point then, how long did that process take that you could really see how incredible it is that your dad was able to expose the secret and that he loved you so much that he, he was willing to work at the healing of it all? How long did it take you? Um, it actually, I, I wouldn't talk to him for about, for a long time. I don't remember exactly how long, but um, he had started fasting about it, and my mom told me. And so um, I wouldn't have said anything to it. Like, I don't know how long I would have gone without even talking to him, but I did just because I didn't want him to starve to death. And I, I was really stubborn, so I knew that I could go a long time without talking to him. Mm-hmm. So um, I talked to him, and I kind of was like, okay, this is fine. But it was really at um, – we went on a family trip to L.A., and um, – my dad had a speaking engagement at the place that we were staying, and he told his story all the way through. And it was the first time that I saw how he, the reasons why he went through what he did, and like that it wasn't my mom's anything my mom did, and it wasn't anything us kids did. It was his own pain and hurt, and like how much struggle he went through. Mm-hmm. And at the end of his talking about, like, I just sat there and was like, I get it. Like, I finally get it. And so afterwards, he was signing books, and I went up to him, and I just, like, whispered in his ear. I was like, I get it, and I forget. wow. Yeah, and then he started bawling, and I started bawling, and they had photographers that were taking pictures of us. I was like, get away. (laughs) 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 So we had the moment captured on film. (laughs) That is a powerful moment. Yeah, yeah. And, and Amy, what about 
you? Did you, were you able to accept it? I was, I was at a point, I think God knew that he needed just one kid to, you know, be able to be like, okay, because like she said, my brother was like, I'm sorry, why do I have to know? Yeah. But I, I really felt bad for the child in him that got abused. Yes. And because I really have a heart for people in like trafficking and stuff like that. And so God kind of worked it in that way in my heart. And um, I could just see, you know, the pain that it caused my mom. But I really felt for the kid and my dad that, you know, no one was there to stand up for him and Mm. was alone at such a young age. And that's more the direction I felt of it. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was separate because then I could be there and, you know, just be there for my sister without having, because you know how sisters can be sometimes if one's irritated and you feel bad for the other person, the other person can get really irritated. (laughs) (laughs) So I think God knew that we could only take one, one sister in on this. (laughs) I I love how God can take, I mean, this, this is horrific thing. And, you know, years and years that it just keeps, you know, penetrating. The, the evilness that took place from such a long time ago that just keeps penetrating now. And yet God always takes it and uses it for good. Because you can tell just the unity in your family right now is so over and beyond. And, and that, that is amazing. Well, and I, you know, one of the reasons why we wanted you guys on the show, too, with your dad is, is it was obvious just meeting you. Just, you know, you adore your daddy. And um, I saw that just in D.C. and the way you talked about him, the way you lit up and, you know, with your mom and just all of you guys are there. And, and that, that is rare and that is really, that is really cool. There was a, like a gentle strength there um, that just kind of was, was obvious and you didn't have to say anything, but you just thought. And so I think that, that speaks volumes to people who are stuck as a family in some, you know, situation that has happened. And, and the message we are so passionate for women is going, there's always hope. And there's always healing. And, you know, and, and God is still God and God is still good and God still loves. And you are, you can live loved. And that was powerful words that you used, Paul, with that, that um, it is so true with people. And, and I, I can't get over the, the criticism part, obviously. And I know so many times whenever you're doing a ministry or whenever you're creating a movement, you will always get criticized. Do you have any tips, Paul, on... I know you just have to ignore the criticism, but um, for you, were you just shocked about the criticism initially when it took place? Were you, was it easy to be defensive? Well, and also you went to 26 publishers and got rejected, and you didn't stop there. Well, <laughs> because I, you know, I, one of the things that I've really learned over the last number of years is to try to stay inside the grace of just one day. Mm-hmm. You know, you get grace for one day, everything else is an imagination, and... Uh, when we run into those imaginations, we're spending today's grace on things that don't even exist and where God doesn't even dwell. And uh, so when this all happened, I just, it, it made me laugh more than anything. And as far as the controversy, I thought, thought there would be a lot more. Mm. And, uh, and I think as people read the book uh, read more times, they'll see some of the underlying things that are actually there that can stir things up a little bit too. But... Um, but then you look at it and you say, look at how many people are reading this book because some of the religious folks are mad about it. I mean, they're pulling more people into the book than you can imagine. They're doing the work of God. How could you be mad at them? What exactly are they um, upset about? Well, 
they're, they're, they're upset that uh, I use imagery that is outside the box. You know, that Papa's a, Papa, who's God the Father, is a large black African-American woman. And, uh, and imagery doesn't define God. Imagery helps us understand the nature and character of God. There's plenty of animal imagery, uh, uh, rocks and mineral imagery for God. There's all kinds of imagery, feminine, masculine, all through Scripture. But um, that, that was a little difficult for some people. Um, and you know what? It is interesting because that is the conversation you heard. Is like I, I love the book, but I had a hard time with Papa being a, a, a large black woman. And you know what? There's a part of it is, is like you said. It what what we liked about that. It really made you go think about God outside the box because we both were raised inside the church where you have these preconceived ideas of God, and and sometimes our our uh, idea <coughs> of God is very sterile because we've been raised. That's all we know, and we don't even push ourselves to think beyond about. Who really is God? And like you said, just, you know, going outside that realm of tradition. Yeah. Orthodox theology would tell us that God is not male or female, and that all maleness, all femaleness are both derived from the nature and character of God. And, uh, and so, you know, a lot of us grew up with Gandalf with an attitude, you know, that God who is that uh, Western dualistic omni-being, uh, disappointed, disgruntled, unreachable, um, where he had to send Jesus to try to talk him into liking us. And uh, but we've got huge issues. And, and in a world where things are so uncertain, if we can't plant our feet on the certainty of God's character and nature, we've got nowhere to stand. Mm-hmm. And we'll go back to control. We'll go back to fear. We'll go back to all those things because we just can't trust anybody, let alone visible people. How can we trust invisible people who have the same nature and character as those who've heard us. And, and that is what's so complicated. It's all about that trust and about that faith. And we just want to thank you guys, Lexi, Amy, for um, just being a part of the show, and especially Paul, just for sharing. And we will see or listen to you or hear you or talk at you next Thursday. So stay tuned, girlfriended.com. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you for being a part of this special program, Girlfriended, the show dedicated to the most important woman you know, yourself. It's the show designed.